Matthew chapter 16, as today we continue our series on the foundational truths of our faith, and today we study uh, about Jesus. I'd like to begin uh, by sharing with you an outline for today. Uh, I think we can show it on the screen. And, and basically, uh, it kind of gives you a little roadmap of where we're headed. And when it comes to Jesus, I mean, wow. There are, there are no words to articulate. There is not enough time uh, to really exhaust this wonderful topic. I mean, Jesus, the lion, Jesus, the lamb, Jesus, our best friend, Jesus, the one who died for us. I mean, of course, we're not going to be able to cover everything. But, you know, I, I was reading a book on heaven recently, and it was a blessing to me to discover that we will spend all eternity getting to know more and more about Jesus. Some people have the misconception that, well, when I get to heaven, I'll know everything. You're not going to know everything. You're going to continue to learn. And it will never, ever get boring, never old. And so we're learning about Jesus. And today what we're going to talk about is his uh, nature and his name. And so we'll look at, first of all, his nature, the Son of God. And that is going to emphasize more along the lines that he is the, the son. You know, there is, a, there is a father. He has a son. We'll talk about that. There's a dynamic about that. And then we'll look at God the son. And that's more along the lines of the fact that he's deity. And then we'll look at the son of man, the fact that he is humanity. So a lot to learn about Jesus. These are, these are some of the things in his nature. And then his name. And we'll try to summarize it. I don't know if you knew this or not, but 82 times in the New Testament, he is referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not just, you know, three names, you know, first, middle, last. Uh, they're titles, and they describe what Jesus has done for us. And so we'll look at these things beginning here in Matthew chapter 16, and we read in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. I tell you what, this is one of the reasons you should go to Israel. This scripture right here will never be the same. When you go to Caesarea Philippi and you see the whole setting there and all the false religions and you see even the gate to hell there, you see the rock. I mean, it's just amazing how Jesus would bring them to this place and we get to visit it when we go to Israel. And it just opens up to you the scriptures of who Jesus is. You know, what's the word Jesus is talking to his guys? You know, what's the word on the street? You know, what's the, the 411? What's the gossip? What do they say? Who do they say that I am? 
And so they say, oh, they, they say you're Elijah. They say you're Jeremiah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. And they had this, you know, misconception that these guys, and of course there was the prophecy that Elijah would return. And so it's still in their, in their minds that he can come back. These guys could come back. And you're a prophet and you're great. And so they're saying those things, you know. But, of course, we know that's not true. But then the Lord, you know, he gets personal with them. He says, but who do you say? That I am. And let me tell you something, man. That is the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. Your eternity hinges on who you say Jesus is. You know, right here, Peter, he gives a great answer because the Father reveals it to him. He says there in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we'll get into this. And we're going to talk about this today about about who Jesus is, right? But, but you know, this is such an important question. I remember reading in the Gospels in Mark chapter 4 when they were in the boat and it was a crazy storm and the water was getting in the boat and maybe they thought they were going to sink. Jesus was asleep. Imagine that. He must have been so tired to be able to sleep uh, during a storm. Have you guys ever been that tired sleeping during the noise or things going on? I mean, imagine all the work that Christ did, maybe even up all night the night before praying. We don't know why, but for whatever reason, he was sleeping during the storm, and they started panicking. And so, you know, they, they, they didn't just say, Lord, help us. They went, they, they freaked out. They said, wake up. Don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus just gets up. Imagine this, this crazy storm. And he just says, peace, be still, and boom. In a split second, everything was calm. And so it says in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 that when they saw this, that they feared exceedingly. It says in verse 41 of Mark 4, and they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, and this was, the, this was the life. It was all about discovering who Jesus is. You know, when you look at the life of Christ, when you look at Jesus, he's definitely the most powerful and, and most wonderful and most influential man in history. He, therefore, should leave his mark on me, right? I mean, you know, maybe you've heard this essay uh, by James Francis, not a, not a vato, essay is a, is a writing, okay? Maybe you heard that, One Solitary Life. How many of you have heard that? This is kind of based on what he wrote. When you think about Jesus, here is a man who was born the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in an obscure village and, and, and worked as a carpenter until the age of 30. For the next three years, he was an itinerant preacher, meaning he traveled and he preached and you know, he never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never started a family. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. You know, when the crowds finally began to gather around him, they turned out to be traitors, and the tide of popular opinion rose against him. His friends ran away. One denied him. Another betrayed him until he was arrested and convicted by his enemies who were the authorities. He was beaten, unjustly tried, and nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, 
his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, and that were his clothes. After he died, he was taken down, laid in a grave, a borrowed grave from a pitied friend. And you would figure that such a person would, you know, who did these things, not much, just fade away, right? Just disappear in every sense of the word. But 20 centuries have come and gone, and Jesus lives. He still lives in every sense of the word. Today, close to 3 billion people claim to follow him. And so we are far within the mark when we say that all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings who ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. Who can this be? Who is Jesus when you look at him? You know, even those who don't necessarily call themselves Christian acknowledge the fact of Christ's impact, incomparable in human history. H.G. Wells, he said this. He said, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant man who ever walked the face of the earth. Napoleon said this, I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Alexander Caesar, Charmelaine, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, still today, millions of men would die for him. You know, in our hearts, you know, if we would be open, if we just look at history with an honesty, we would say that there is no one like Jesus. You know, I have this book, and I, we don't have time to get into it, but, but really, when you're an honest history student, and you look at all the schools, you look at all the hospitals, you know, all the rights of women, all the rights of children, what marriage is, everything about this world that we live in. There are no words to articulate the impact of Jesus Christ. So who is he? Is he a mere man? Is he just another passing prophet? Is he a typical teacher? Absolutely not. It's important for us to see who he is. You know, even Albert Einstein, he said, As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. He said, No myth is filled with such life. I mean, even Einstein acknowledged the, the divinity of Christ, you know? And when you think about Jesus, I mean, think about this for a second. How long did he teach? I mean, he taught for three years. Three years. I mean, Socrates and Aristotle, they taught for 40 years. Plato 
taught for 50 years, and they're considered among the greatest teachers and thinkers and philosophers in all antiquity. But how is it that Jesus made this infinite impact in such a short period of time? And the answer is because of who he is. You know, they say he was just a teacher. Some even say, believe it or not, that he was a failure or a liar. And, they're, and they're, you know, of course, people out there in the world that we live in, they're free to believe whatever they want to believe. But, but here we are today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? You know, not only is he our, our God and, and the Father's Son, you know, the Savior, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. He's who we want to be like. I mean, he's everything to us. I, I was, you know, thinking about this and, you know, what, what's Jesus to you? Well, he's, he, some say, well, he's someone, he's something special. No, he's not something special. He's everything to me. You know, when I was on vacation, it was a great vacation Part of it was just sitting at the Lord's feet, spending time with him, trying to be refreshed. Part of it was working on the bathroom and kind of doing things around the house and painting and stuff, right? Because um, I just, you know, want to make my wife happy. But, you know, as, you, as I'm working on the bathroom, I'm not, a, I'm not a construction guy. I'm not good at it. But I've learned this, that um, I can't do it fast but I can do it a little bit at a time. And that's all I, I, I need to do, and that's really all she wants me to do. She says, just a few hours, you know, just a few hours every day. No, I'm just joking, she didn't say that. <laughs> but, but what I'm learning, and it's kind of cool, because uh, for those of you guys who are maybe in my spot, you're not as good as some of the others, you can do this uh, a few hours, four or five hours, whatever, and you're just plugging away a little bit and because you're not in a hurry, so you're not going to do it messy. You're going to do a really good job. You're just doing it little by little. And, as I, and, I, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll go and I'll work on the bathroom. At the end of the day, I'll kind of go back in and see what I did and be like, wow, I painted that spot today. You know, you made some progress or whatever, you know. And, uh, and I was thinking, that's kind of like what the Lord is doing with us. It's like each and every day a little more like Jesus. Not, not in a hurry. We're not stressing out. It's not going to happen overnight. We're going to do a good job here. That, that's what Jesus is doing. And, and so he, he is everything to us. He's everything I want to be. And as we study his life, I pray that we would have that heart. You know, we're going to spend a few minutes today studying his nature and his name and first of all, looking at his nature, I was wondering if you could turn to Proverbs chapter 30. And we're going to see that he's the son of God. He's the son of God. Okay. So the emphasis on this point is that he's the son. Now, that is going to be something that you need to hold on to. A lot of times people don't think of it. Well, he's the son. He, like, you, do you have a son? Any of you here have a, a child? That's who he is. He's 
the son of, of the father. And so in that, he's, he's gonna, we're going to see a picture of submission, but we're also going to see a picture of affection. Sons submit to their father, but when you think of the father-son relationship or the parent-child relationship, I mean, there is a love there that is, is greater you know, than, than almost any other. And so we, the Son of God implied in the Old Testament, here in Proverbs chapter 30, we see in verse 4 a question, a series of questions. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Think about that. Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If you know. Now, here we are with New Testament light. Let me ask you a question. What's his son's name? Jesus, huh? We know, but there it is, tucked away in the Old Testament, the son of God. You know, you see it also in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? There you see it tucked away implicitly in the Old Testament. You see it also in Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 through 25, because it's interesting. You're like, well, what, did God, what has God given me? He's given you his son. Unto us a, a child is born. Unto us a son is is given. Why was he given to us? One thing that one answer to that question is to save us from the fire. Because in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the lake of fire. But not just the fire of eternity, but even the fires of time. Because there's a beautiful story there in Daniel chapter 3. You guys might remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow down, to, bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. And so therefore, when they came, uh, Nebuchadnezzar heated the fire seven times hotter than normal, and he threw them in the fire, right? But it's interesting what you read afterwards. It says in Daniel, 9, um, Daniel 3, 24 and 25, that King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, you know, time out, man, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, the Son of God is there tucked away in the Old Testament. There are other references where it's implicitly revealed. You know, creating the world there in, in Proverbs 30. You know, here we see him given to us, Isaiah chapter 9. And here we see him walking with us in Daniel chapter 3. You're going through hard times. You're going through the fire. I don't know what it is, but let's, let's learn about Jesus He's with you. And those fires will only, if you keep your eyes on the Lord and walk with him, set you free, make you stronger, bring God glory. That's who Jesus is. He's the, the son of God, implicit in the Old Testament. And if you're going through hard times, know that he's with you. You know, how many of you here believe that Jesus sees through you? 
You know, I like what Adrian Rogers said. He says, Jesus not only sees through us, he sees us through. And he will. This is who Jesus is. He's the, the son of God, implicit in the Old Testament, explicit in the New Testament. Turn to John chapter 20. And as John summarizes his gospel in verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This gospel, I don't know, you guys know what gospel means, right? It's not just, well, a chronicle of the life of Christ. No, it's a message so that you'd be saved. The good news that God loves you and he died for you and all you have to do is believe to, to be saved. It's not a religion, it's a relationship that you have with God. And so right here he says these things are written so that you can believe Jesus is the Christ. We'll talk about that, the Son of God. And that's what we see in the scriptures, implicit in the Old Testament, explicit in the New Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the testimony of the Father in Luke 3, 22. It says the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven. That was the Father speaking and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Think about that for a second. The Father speaking over the Son, saying to you, You're my Son. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Imagine when a child hears that from his father. You know, we have to make sure we understand when we're, we're studying who Jesus is, that he's not just like, you know, and I, we're going to talk about the fact that he's God and he's man, but he's the Son. He's the Father's Son. And he gave him to us. It's the, the testimony of the apostles in Mark 14, Matthew 14, 33. It says that those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. Think about that for a second. I mean, angels don't get worship. Only God gets worship. They worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. It's a testimony of Jesus. In Matthew 26, 63 and 64, Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said, it is as you said. I mean, if the Father said it, Jesus said it, the apostles said it. You know, and that's why we have to believe it. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, when the Ethiopian eunuch was wondering whether or not he could get baptized, it says, now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of of God. We see the same thing in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's interesting. You know, you might think, well, who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is God. That's part of it. No, but you also have to take the complete picture. You believe that he's the Son of God. You believe that the, the Father ha, has, 
for all eternity has had this son that he loves, that he loves so much. No one like him. Imagine the love between the father and the son existing for eternity. I love my son. I cannot articulate how much I love my children. Those of you who are parents, and you know what I'm talking about, you love your children. And think about it. We're wicked, weak creatures. Imagine the love of the father and the son. And he gave him to you. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is the son of God. Because in that, there is this message of love. That's why in in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's vital for us to know his nature. Since Jesus is God's son, then we know that uh, there's a, there, some people say, well, how did God have a son? You know, and then the Mormons, unfortunately, they have a terrible doctrine that says that God had celestial sex. You know, they, they'll tell you that you can become your own God and you can have a whole bunch of wives and your own planet. No, th- that's not how Jesus came into being. He wasn't created. He's always been, but he's always been the son. Remember we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. The Son submits to the Father. There is this whole thing of submission in that, and there's this wonderful thing of affection in that. So number one, looking at Jesus' nature, he's, he's the Son of God, but then we look at the fact that he's God the Son, and that is more along the lines of, of Jesus' deity. You know, when we look at at Christ, we know that he received worship. He promised to be with us when we pray, when we evangelize. You know, this is a series, Foundations of Our Faith series. It began with us understanding what the Bible is. And then we went into the fact of what the Trinity is. And when we studied the Trinity, we went and took some time developing this point that Jesus is God. That Jesus is 100% God. And so I encourage you, if you get a chance to maybe pick up that CD or listen to it online... But let me just touch on a couple of things. I mean, Jesus said, wherever two or three of you are gathered together in my name, he said, I'm there with you. How can, how can he not be God? I mean, if he's going to be there wherever this, on the planet people are praying. Or he said in the Great Commission, remember, go there for my disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo... And what the low means in the Greek is, check it out, low. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How could he, if he's not God, how can he be with us always? The only answer is that he's God, because only God's omnipresent. The devil's not omnipresent. Angels are not omnipresent. And so what we find, you know, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We saw it in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas worshipped him and he said, My Lord and my God. We see it in Acts 20, verse 28. Romans chapter 9, verse 5 is a great passage. And there are so many others. Hebrews 1, 8, the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God. 
is forever and ever. So if the father says that to the son, either you got polytheism or you have Jesus as God, what we've seen in the Trinity. You know, a lot of people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, one of the things that you'll find in the Godhead is that the Father points to the Son, the Holy Spirit points to the Son. It seems like Jesus points to the Father. There's this amazing humility within the Godhead, but he did claim to be God many times. One time was in John chapter 8, verse 58, where he told the religious leaders before Abraham was, I am. Ego emi in the Greek language, taking them back to Exodus 3 and Exodus 6 where God revealed himself to Moses as I am. That's why they took up stones to stone him because he, they knew he was claiming to be God. William uh, Vanderwolf, he said this, a man who can read the New Testament and not see that Christ claims to be more than a man can look all over the sky at high noon on a cloudless day and not see the sun. And basically what we see when we read the Bible, and this is why this study is so difficult, because, I mean, there's so many beautiful, wonderful things that we could say about Jesus that, to me, I mean, our church, our life, is all about Jesus. You know, we go through life and we struggle because we get our eyes on people who disappoint us. That's going to happen all the time. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your, your friend, you know, and they, they're still your friend, but they'll disappoint you. And if you go through life with your eyes on people, you're going to go up and down and all around. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're going to be okay. Everything is about him. You know, I feel like we should all take off our shoes. But then it might smell funny, but I was... Who cares, huh? You know, we're standing on holy ground. Adrian Rogers said, if you read the Bible and you don't find Jesus, go back and reread it because it's a hymn book. It's all about him. And so looking at Jesus' nature, we see he's the son of God. We see he's God the son. We also see that he's the son of man. And for that, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. The son of man, and I think you probably can figure it out that this is now him referring to his humanity. It was actually Jesus' favorite title for himself, found 84 times in the New Testament. And so the thing that we have to understand in looking at his nature is that he's, you know, the son of God. He's God the son. And as the son of man, he was 100% man and 100% and God. And we did talk about this when we studied this on the Trinity he added this nature to himself, the divine nature, and then the human nature. Theologians call it the hypostatic union. You know, we read, remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh, God. I mean, he, you know, think about it. Uh, God, 
the eternal God became the size of the period on the end of your paper when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. I mean, he had to learn how to, to walk and talk, and he went through all the things that we went through. Here we read in Hebrews chapter 2 that very truth in verse 17. It says, Therefore in all things he, in reference to Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And so he became a man right there. It says to, to, you know, offer this propitiation. And that means the appeasement to God in the sense that he, we all deserve to suffer the wrath of God because of our sins. But he appeased the Father for us. That's propitiation to die for us. But not just to die for us. You know, part of it is, is, to, is to show us how to live and to teach us how to live and to help us as we live. If you think about it, Jesus could have came down, he could have just died. But no, he came down and he walked and he talked and he went through all the temptations that we went through, every point. He was tempted the same as us and yet without sin. Why? Why did he go through that? So that he could help you when you're there. And it's not just some guy's help, it's God's help. And just make, it changes everything. It gives us the ability to overcome any temptation that might come our way. No, he knows how you feel. Whoever you are today, he knows how you feel. He's been there where you are. He knows what it's like to be poor or suffer pain. He knows how it feels to be hungry or homeless or hated. He knows the sorrow of losing a loved one. We believe his stepdad died when he was a teenager. His best friend passed away. He went through that grief. The Bible even says he was acquainted with sorrows and grief in Isaiah 53, verse 3. And so you might look at Jesus and you might think, well, I'm sure he had a pretty easy life. No, the Bible says that he went through a lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering. He knows all the details of being belittled or abandoned or betrayed. He even experienced the valley of suffering and death in order to save us for eternity and to help us every single day. See, 100% God, 100% man, that's who Jesus is. And so, you know, when you look at his nature, um, I pray that we would have a real good understanding. You know, going through a series like this, someone will say, well, man, you're supposed to teach through a book. And yes, that is our practice as a church, and we will get back to teaching through the scriptures. But... When it comes to doctrine, the apostles' doctrine mentioned in the book of Acts, you have to have what's called systematic theology. And what that means is you take the full counsel of God and you look at the various scriptures that teach us about who God is. And now we are studying and we need to know all about Jesus. And so we see his nature and then uh, we learn his name. And I'll have to run through this real quick. But in Philippians chapter 2, let's turn there.
Philippians chapter 2. Notice what we read in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know, and it's kind of cool. Uh, the Philippian church, they were, there was prob- they were a good church, but they were probably having a little difficulty with unity. And, uh, and basically what Paul wrote to them is humble yourself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who being in the form of God, in other words, he, he's a God. He says he did not consider robbery to be equal with God, and that means two things. Number one, it, he didn't think it was a crime to say he was equal with the Creator because he was the Creator, but at the same time, he didn't hold on to it. Like, hey, you know who I am? No, he didn't do that. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I mean, Jesus, man, he humbled himself. Not only did he become a man, and and when you study, now that we know all about astronomy and how huge our galaxies are. And to think about this little speck in space called planet Earth and for, for the God who created everything to come and be, be one of us, that in and of itself is mind-boggling. But then to think that not only was he a, a man, he was a servant, and he didn't come you know, to rule, he came you know, to die. Be obedient to the point of death and not just die, not just die, he died on a cross. And so, you know, when you look at Christ, the Lord says, this is what he's done, but, but look what I, the Father says. Therefore, in verse 9, God the Father also has exalted him, highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth, those under the earth, and then every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you look at Lord Jesus Christ, it's not first, middle, and last name. It's a phrase found 82 times in the New Testament. And what it says, first of all, is you've got to know the title of, of Christ is Lord, meaning that he is master. He calls the shots. If he says jump, we say how high. We're supposed to obey him. That's who he is. But it's not, you know, one, well, hey, you know, I just come, I'm going to boss you around because of my authority. No, it's the one who, look, look at the, what precedes it. Look at what precedes it. Look at how he earned it. He earned it with his love. So if he's commanding you not to have sex before marriage, if he's commanding you you know, to, to read your Bible and spend some time in prayer, go to church, serve him, whatever it is he's commanding you to do, understand that it's going to be the best thing for you. He's Lord. You know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I do? Not do the things that I say? You know, you read the scriptures. You can't just tip your hat to Jesus. You've got to bow the knee, right? 
And then, of course, his name Jesus. In Matthew 1.21, the angel said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we read that even uh, earlier in Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus uh, is his name, and it means Yahweh is salvation. Um, that's what it literally means. Uh, Jehovah or Yahweh is salvation. Yehoshua. It's the word Joshua. In the, in the Old Testament, Joshua was the one that led them to the promised land. That, that's his name. When you look at the Lord Jesus and then Christ, and you guys know what Christ means? Isn't it sad that today it's a swear word? I mean, we pay money to hear people use Jesus' name in vain as a swear word, not just, you know, random, but for bad things. God help us. The Christ, the one the whole Old Testament was talking about, the one that would come and save the world, the Christ. In the Hebrew, it's Mashiach. In the Greek, it's Christos. It means that he's the anointed one. He's got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, it says to heal the brokenhearted. The anointed in the Old Testament, the three offices that were anointed were prophet, priest, and king. So as a prophet, he's the messenger. As a priest, he's the mediator. And as the king, he's the master. And that's who Jesus is. And you know, today, as we, we study this together, we just, you know, begin to just scratch the surface. Man, I pray that what it will do is it will catapult us to a place in our life where we will want to get to know Him and study His Word and fall in love with Christ the way that we should. You know, He is the one that we need because, man, we're in bad shape without him. Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need, right? Now, I was thinking about what Adrian Rogers said. He said, if I put between me and Christ things between me, it's idolatry. But if I put Christ between me and things, it's victory. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Get to know Jesus. The Father, you know, points to Jesus. You know, I was thinking about my son or my children and how wonderful it is when people love them, when people care about their feelings. That's kind of how it is, you guys, with the Father and the Son. And, and, and when you get Jesus in your life, you know, you, you get everything. Let me close with one story. I've told it many times, but there are two people who have never heard it, so I'm going to share it with you guys. <laughs> you remember the story about the, the father who had a son that was out there in, in the war? He's fighting hard for his country, and he died. And so one day, he gets a knock at the door, and a soldier comes, and he says, Sir, uh, I knew your son, and uh, I'm a painter, and, uh, and while we were out there, one day I painted a portrait of your son. I'd like to give it to you. So this man, who was a wealthy man, uh, he was a collector of art. He had the great works of art. Any of you guys like art, like Monet? 
Picasso, Rembrandt. I mean, he had all those great artworks. But this one uh, of the sun, it wasn't maybe as, you know, well done, but it meant everything to him because it was his son. So he put it up on top of the fireplace, and then the day came when the man died. After he died, word got around into the art community that all the great works would be auctioned off. So people came from all over the world, you know, to, to buy the, the Rembrandts, to buy the Picassos, to buy the Monets. And as they began the auction, the gentleman that went up in the front, he said, we'd like to begin, first of all, with the portrait of the sun. He said, do I hear any bids? Silent. No one bid. $5, $10, no one bid. And so finally they began to cry out. They said, we're not here for that. We're here for the Picassos. We're here for the Monets. We're here for the Rembrandts. And the gentleman who was doing the auction, he said, I'm sorry, my instructions are clear. We must begin with the portrait of the sun. So finally in the back, the gardener raises his hand and he says, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I knew him. He was special to me. And so he got the portrait of the sun, $50. Boom. The hammer, is that how they do it? Hits the, the, whatever. And it says, this completes our auction for today. And everyone's wondering, what? What are you talking about? What's going on? How can it complete the auction for today? And the man said, my instructions were clear. He who purchases the portrait of the son gets everything. How, how, how shall he who delivered him freely to us not give us all things. I'm telling you guys, if you got Jesus, you got Jesus in your heart, you got everything you need, stay focused on him. If you're here and you don't have him, you don't know him, you're not right with him, I'll tell you what, like John was sharing earlier, this is really what it's all about. He wants to forgive you. All you have to do is come to him.